been studying the book of Galatians for some time now. And as we've studied it, trying to, to work through it step by step, we've found out that Paul is writing to defend the Gospel. And some people may be here today, you've heard, I mean, you could go to church your whole life potentially and not really understand the Gospel. On one, in one sense, the, the reality is, is that we could basically um, understand, even as a Christian, we understand the basics of the Gospel, but the fullness of it is something that we try to understand the rest of our lives. You should never ever think that you get past it. So what is the Gospel? The Gospel message is that there is a holy God that created a world, and He created it and it was good. And then man fell into sin. And they rebelled against this holy God. And the results of that, we can see, all you have to do is turn on your television and you see the evidence of this fallen condition. And this God who made this holy world, this perfect world, and who is looking at humanity and their fallenness and brokenness, extended mercy. And He promised to send a Savior, and He did. And His name was Jesus. He is both God and man. And He came to this earth, and He walked down the road that we're on, but He did not rebel like we have. He walked in perfect holiness, and then died on the cross, taking on the penalty that we deserved. And in response to that, what we do is we repent of our sins and trust in Christ as our only hope for salvation. Paul wanted them to understand in the book of Galatians that you and I must understand this this in its fullness, that we must repent and trust in Christ and hold on to Him only. There are false teachers all around who would say, you need to add something to Jesus. And Paul says, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But in turn, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It equals eternal life. It equals the hope we have for all of humanity. It is what we speak of over and over. It is why in our thing for our children this morning we said, will you help them in gospel change? We want you to not just teach them to be good, moral people. We want you to teach them that their morality will not save them, nor will their rebellion save them. Christ alone will save them. He alone is the one who rescues us. And in light of that, we need to remind one another of it. And Paul does this beautifully in the book of Galatians. Now, the question is, one who has been rescued by Christ, how should they walk? Because some people say, Paul, if you tell people that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, will they do whatever they want? Well, the reality is, someone who truly has believed the Gospel, they have experienced the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has worked in their hearts, and now they desire to live a godly life. But here's the thing. Have you ever been to church with hypocrites? This whole church is filled with hypocrites. I mean, really. If you were to set them down and say, look, I want to, think, I want to understand everything that went on in the mind of this crazy preacher up there this week, I would be like horrified. Because our only hope is in what Christ has done. We cannot 
save ourselves. But the reality is, now that the Spirit is working in the children of God, we desire to live a godly life. And we know we're at war. Because inside of us is our flesh. And our flesh battles against the Spirit, and that struggle goes on throughout this life. So I wanted to kind of talk about that just for a moment, just to remind you of where we have been and understand that that war is going on and we as Christians are in that battle and we want to walk by the Spirit and not give in to the desires of the flesh. Now, Paul is going to say this morning that sometimes we're going to look at others and we'll have people that we think are below us in the church and we look at them we say, oh, they're less than us. They are not what we are. And so we look down on people and maybe we challenge them and say, I'm more spiritual than you. I can quote more Bible verses. I can tell you about how many places I've been to serve the Lord. I can tell you how much money I've given. I look down on somebody. Maybe we could say that. And so we have that tendency maybe to do that, and it causes division. And then other people are saying, I'm always looking up to people. I wish I had their gifts. I wish I could sing like them. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. And you're looking up, and both of those people are in a radical like uh, rebellion against God because God did not design us for that. God did not say look up to others or look down on others. He says in this passage, it's, it's understand that you have been given by God certain gifts, certain trials, certain struggles, and certain opportunities, you bear that. Now, what else is Paul going to say? He is going to say, listen, when we are really walking with the Lord, we're going to see that all of us are going to struggle with sin. And you can't bear that sin alone. You just can't. It's too heavy a burden. And so the church that is not to look up to people and say, I wish I were them. Look down on people. I'm glad I'm not them. But they are to say, I'm going to walk into the comfort and the confidence of the Gospel and then I want to help other people just like they're going to have to help me when I'm struggling in sin. That's kind of the passage this morning. So let's unpack it and we'll just move forward in it today. Well, let me say one more thing about it. There, there is an idea, that the picture here, because I said don't look up and don't look down, but there is an element to where I'm looking heavenward. I, I want to keep the cross before me. That, that's what changes. I want to see the Gospel. And when I see the Gospel, I really am at that point where I can have confidence and humility in light of that. So just one more thing I just want to add because I'm afraid I didn't say that clearly. Okay, let's move forward. Verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Now here's what's interesting. Usually the people I call conceited are those people that say, I'm better than everybody, I'm number one, I'm on top. That's the kind of person I'm going to go after and say, they're conceited, they're always saying all this arrogant stuff, and they're telling how great they are. That's the conceited person. But Paul's going to say here, let us not become conceited by kind of challenging one another, almost looking down upon others and saying, I'm better than you, but also by envying one another. That's crazy. Could someone be conceited by wanting what someone else had? What is conceit? It's, it, conceited means to exaggerate, it's an exaggerated self-conception. It means to be puffed up with pride, arrogant, and boastful. Someone who's always saying, I wish I could be this person, they love themselves. They cherish themselves. They think much of themselves. They want glory. And the idea of envy is, I want what that person wants, and I hope they don't have it. 
So both of those things are a struggle. Notice what it says as we move forward. It says this one form of conceit is provoking or challenging someone else. Some, so this may be an opportunity to say for a pastor, I might hear somebody preach and I'm thinking, are you serious? I mean, where did they learn to preach? I mean, what, do they, have they read their Bibles? And I think that's not theologically sound and I just kind of tear them up. Or somebody in the church comes to me and says, whew, I'm glad you don't preach like that guy. I heard him the other day, and dude, you're awesome. You're the best. And I'm like, whew, I am awesome. You know, and I'm looking down on everybody. That, that kind of provoking, it's almost like I'm, I'm saying I'm above them. So I challenge everything that other people would say. Another thing in the church would be kind of like, if you were saying, um, well, we're, we really love our church because... And all these churches are not as great as our church. We might say, we're not going to do it like they did. And that's a struggle. I mean, I struggle with that too. You say, I'm not going to go that route. And so all those things kind of come or say, oh, that church is dying. We almost feel better as a church. And then as individual Christians, I think that, that struggle can come to us. It's, it's, we could say, oh, so-and-so, they don't know as much as I do. Why don't they just keep their mouth shut? I already understand these. I understand this doctrine or this thing, and I can I can explain that. Or or maybe even in our consciences, we're looking at people and say, why don't they why don't they serve more? Why why aren't they more involved in the church? Why don't they do this and why don't they do that? All of those things we think that we are superior. We can do that in our home. A husband can be demeaning towards his wife because certain things aren't done the way they want them. Or the house is not the way they want it. Or the food is not on the table. All those things. And we battle with those. And we think, why are you doing that? It's almost like saying, I hit a home run today. You failed. And what a dangerous place to be. It's provoking and challenging someone as if you are the superior person. You keep moving. And just think about this as you move forward. Paul says, do not be conceited. Do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought. Your Christian life should not be spent looking down at others and making much of yourself. The next step here, he says another way is to promote envy or jealousy, uh, 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 wanting what someone else has. That's the same thing in the ministry. You could look up to someone who has maybe greater gifts and skills, and you say, man, I wish I could preach like that. Or somebody comes alongside you and says, hey, I have a little preaching idol, Jared. Now listen to them. Look how great they are. And they kind of provoke that in you and say, don't you wish you were that great? Or in a church, it could be the same way. You say, boy, in that church, it's almost like the heavenly Jerusalem and Revelation has fallen down on that church. And they are so great. And there's so many people there. And they're so holy. And don't you wish we could be like that? It's that same mentality you think it's so dangerous and it's a struggle for us. Sometimes with um, Anna, I'll say, Anna, if we had all the money in the world, what kind of house would you live in? You know, And she looked at me and on several occasions be like, I would live here. Really thankful for, God, for what God's given us here. This is where I'd want to be. I'm really overwhelmed with the gifts that God has given, and I'm just in a minute going, oh man, why is she like that? What? Don't give me a spiritual answer. No, I'm just kidding. But, but it's, it's this kind of, it's almost like she's saying, don't make me discontent with the gifts God's given. Why do you always want to look towards something else? 
In the same way, we might desire someone's gifts and talents, as I mentioned earlier, someone's job, or you want someone's just family. There's just so many ways that we could envy what someone else possesses. And you might even secretly hope that they lose it. That's reality. It happens all of the time. But instead, the Scripture would speak to us that, you know what? You should have confidence in the Lord. If you are in Christ, if you are in Him, you should have confidence in Him. You should should rest in, in what He's done for you. You should rest, and when He says to you, you are My Son, I can can say, I am approved of God. No one else has to approve of Me. And not only that, there's a humility that comes. I must be humble before Him. Because I don't deserve it. But in humility, I come before Him not thinking I'm great, but thinking He's great. And so I stop trying to tell people or or look down upon people or look up to them. I look at the cross of Christ and I say, I am humbled before Him and I'm confident in Him. It changes everything. That is so important and it, it just plagues us. So we should seek to be fruitful with the gifts and opportunities and trials that God has given us. We should seek to be faithful in them. And I think that's so important to understand. So the first part of this taking some time because I want to set up the rest of it. Verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now what do you see here? Paul again is saying, I believe these people are a part of the church. I believe that they are in Christ. And there's another element where I believe we are on equal ground. We are on equal, equal playing field here. If anyone is caught in any transgression, what does that mean? It means that people struggle with sin. Anyone. That nobody here is exempt No one here could say, oh, I couldn't fall into that sin. So no one's exempt from falling into sin. And then it says, any transgression. There are a myriad of things that are a picture of the rebellion against God so that all here, every one of us, and all types of sin, all of us could fall into anything. And I think it's important that we see that. This means that Christians sin. And not only that, there are patterns of sin that are very difficult for the Christian. It says, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. The idea here, we're talking about the spiritual life. We talk about walking by the Spirit. There are people who have walked down the roads of the Christian life for an extended period of time, and when you see them, you see evidence of the Spirit's control. And those people are people you would say they're spiritually minded. They are walking by the Spirit. These people, not perfection, but people who have walked with the Lord for an extended period of time who are led by the Spirit. 
You go to someone in a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to restore them. Um, I was picking on Anna this morning. Have you ever watched the TV show American Restoration? Y'all seen that? Yeah. Well, uh, not too long ago, I was like, Anna, if I kick the bucket, what kind of man will you marry next? A preacher? She says, no, one of those restoration guys. I was like, what? Have you seen the guy, the leader of that show? I'm like, I was thinking, like, it's like a perpetual gun show. He has these like blue jean uh, shirts. They're cut off. And he's always like flexing when he's picking something up. And I was like, are you serious? So I started wearing one around the house. No, not really. But she, I mean, in this kind of, I think it's important that later she said, no, there's too much drama. They're like always cussing each other and all that. She said, I don't know if I'd go with that. But it is hilarious, it is hilarious to think about. But restoration, these people do all kinds of restoration. You could show up with something and they'll go and tear it down and restore it. It looks brand new and they'll study about it. And the same way here, it's, it, restoration is about, it, it, with a spirit of gentleness, with carefulness that they would restore some people say it has to do, the, the term even has to do with like, like resetting a bone. They go in like spiritual surgeons who are not trying to destroy everything or poke around and say, ha ha, you know. They're, they're not like that. They go in with a very focus at trying to help in that specific place. They do it. Now, here's the thing gentleness is the idea also of meekness. When, when they go in to do this work, there's an element to where they recognize that it's been done on them before. And it needs to be done. And one day they may be on the operating table of the need for the spiritual life. They go there understanding that reality so they're not smug or self-righteous in going to someone who is caught in sin. They, they can't... They cannot lift their heads up as if, or look down upon someone as if they are not a sinner. They go there as one who has been humbled by the Gospel and they've been given confidence before the Lord to go, but they know that they are ones who need the same grace and next week they may be the same person struggling with the same sin. With a spirit of gentleness, they understand and are aware that every Christian is weak and needy and every Christian has his or her share of trouble. God does not exempt anyone from the battle. So they go there in brokenness. And I honestly think, and this is another thing that someone really close to me has said, until I get to the point where I can go to them with that kind of spirit, I ought to stay home. If I want to go with guns a-blazing, which is my sometimes my tendency, I better just stay home. Because I haven't really been close enough to the cross to see all of our condition. Mature Christians are responsible to restore those who are struggling with gentleness. Now here's the thing. Most people, you know what most people's default is? Either to go in like roughshod and trample over people, or to say nothing. Because they will never, ever address someone's sin. They say everybody can do whatever they want to. We're just going to keep our head down and keep to ourselves. It's not a biblical response. If somebody's house is on fire, do you sit down and say, well, it's their house. 
No. We say, I'm running into the house trying to drag everybody out. And so I just think it's important to understand we do have a responsibility to lovingly, as people who are humbled by Christ's love for us and who need surgery often ourselves, to humbly go in and say, hey, I want to help you because I love you. That is love. True love manifests itself in sacrificially laying aside yourself and say, I want to serve this person even if it is difficult. So I think it's just important to see that as we move forward. Now, the, here's the thing, and this is how you know that Paul's not saying, hey, here's the super spiritual. He says, keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. When I was a kid, um, this little boy in our neighborhood, we used to, they, used to like, they were building houses around our house, and uh, we always played in the mud. Well, one kid got up there and he was just trampling in the mud like this, and then he's like up to his shins and he keeps doing it. And all of a sudden, he's to his waist. And so we start grabbing him, trying to drag him out. And he just keeps sinking. And then he starts shaking because he's cold. And we're like, uh, I think it's time to call the parents. So somebody took off up there, got my dad. And my dad starts dragging on him. And like I can hear his back popping. I'm like, this isn't working very good. So we had to call like the volunteer fire department. And they came in. They dug, him, uh, dug around him, all that stuff. But all the while, nobody jumped in there with him. They stood around the hole and lifted up on him to be careful that they didn't just like dive in and end up being sucked in at themselves. I think it's important that we understand like when these people are helping each other, they're, they're trying to do this in such a way where they could actually be a benefit and not just fall in. He's saying, beware that you not fall into this same sin. Do whatever you can to help this brother or sister out, but know this, that you are not exempt from trouble and you're not exempt from sin. That's just a reality. Jude verses 20 and 25. I want you to turn there real quick. If you, if you have your Bible there, you can turn to Jude 20 through 25. Uh, remember, Jude is just one chapter. So it's right before you get to Revelation. Next to the last book. It says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others, snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only, our only God and Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is what he says. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How do I do that? By, by, by growing in the faith. It's the body of teaching that the Scripture presents. Praying in the Spirit and waiting for Jesus. That is a way to kind of help you stay on track. Then it says, go into these places where people are struggling and have mercy on them, but as you see the progression in this verse, you know that there's still a struggle within you to fall into the same sin. And then you have to rest in that God is going to rescue us in the, in, in the, as we progress down this road. We understand that God is keeping us from all sin. I think that's a very valuable verse for us to say, hold fast to the Lord, stand firm in the faith, and then you help each other because all of us are weak sinners in need of salvation and God is help, using us to help save one another in the present from not eternal damnation, but from just present struggle with sin. 
Alright, turn back in verse 2. Let's go to Galatians 6.2. It says, Bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? We could say it's the law of love. Bear one another's burdens. And Jesus said in John 13, A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Very similar to the old. Love God, love your neighbor. He's saying, I give you this commandment that you would love one another. 1 John 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God has placed within our hearts a spirit of love. That's a picture. A spirit of love. And how we fulfill the commandment to love is by serving one another, especially in this moment He's saying, by serving one another and helping us fight sin. We cannot fight sin alone. And God says, this is how I've done this. I've put My love within your heart so that your desires for your brothers and sisters is not to compete with them. And it's not to say, I wish I were them. But it's to stand among them and serve them in love, helping rescue them from sin because they, like you, are in need of the Gospel and they are in need of the service of other brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And this is just kind of reiterating that. You think you're something. You think you become something. You have deceived yourself. Stop being conceited. You and I are all in need of the grace of the Gospel and we are in need of the gift of love within the body. We cannot live by these things. We cannot live on our own. We cannot live on an island. Our Christian life was not designed for that. It was designed to be lived in community. So I'm not greater than anybody, and I'm not wanting to be anybody. I'm wanting to live as the Lord has given me the gifts to live. And I want to live to His glory. Verse 4, But let each one of you test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor. To test your own work is to say, whatever God's given me, I'm going to do with what He's given me. I'm going to live to the most. I heard a story about a young preacher who wanted his church to be bigger, and the older pastor said, uh, on the day of judgment, on the day of judgment, your church will be big enough. Stop looking out there. Stop looking out there to be something, wishing you were something, or looking down on the people that aren't what you are. You take care of the load God's given you. He has created works for you to walk in. Do that! It's so important, it's so easy to get our eyes off and look and say, look at all those people that are worthless, and look at those people that are so great, and then being in turmoil. And he's saying, do the work God has given you to do. And then Paul will say later in this chapter, but, but far be it from me that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus. He rests in that alone. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Now this is interesting. Paul's just said, bear each other's load, and now he's saying, each will have to bear his own load. What's up with that? Well, I think the best way to understand this is understand the terms. One has to do with a very heavy burden that nobody can carry by themselves. When he says, bear one another's load and bear the struggle that one another faces, he's saying, you can't do this alone. 
You and I are not made to bear the brunt of the troubles of this life alone. You have to lock into one another and help accomplish this together. But then there is a load that's almost like a knapsack. Some people call it that. It's something that a soldier would carry. It's a pilgrim's backpack. It's something that anybody can carry. That load is something that God gives to each individual that they are to bear. There are some things they cannot bear alone. Other things that they can bear by themselves. John Stott says, the difference between these two, so we are to bear one another's burdens which are too heavy for a man to bear alone, but there is one burden which we cannot share, indeed do not need to share, because it's a pack light enough for every man to carry himself. And that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack and I cannot carry yours. So focus on the things that God has given you and live according to, accordingly. Walk in a way that be pleasing to Him. You don't live someone else's life, you live your life. And you serve the Lord with it. So I just come to you today and just encourage you. Listen, what changes everything for us is the Gospel. When we stand before the Lord, we understand that the Gospel gives us approval before God and it gives us confidence that we are with God. That we have been united to Him through the sacrificial death of Christ. But not only that, and I think it's important that you see this, not only that, but as we walk through this life, we have to, 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 to walk through it saying, Lord, what do You have for me to do today? How can I serve You today? What opportunities have You given me today? And then as we walk along the road as pilgrims in this life, we look over there and we see somebody struggling and we help them out. And we say, man, I want good for you. I want you to fulfill the full potential God has for you. And you help them go along the way. And then as you move along, you fall in and somebody comes over and helps you up. And you keep working through this life step by step by step so that we all will come before the Lord one day glorying in His grace and the Gospel and in the, His grace that He's provided through His people. So I just encourage you today, if you're living outside of the church, I encourage you to come to the Lord. Be a part of His body. Live in light of the glories that He's provided for us so that we don't live alone, but we live in the marvelous provision that He's provided in His people and through His cross. Let's pray. Father, we just come to You today thankful that You have not left us alone Lord, we know our tendency sometimes when we're together is to look down on one another or want to be the other person. May we live our lives totally content with what You have given us today. May we serve one another out of love. The love that's been shown to us when You sent Your Son to die on the cross so that we might be reconciled to You. Lord, it humbles us today and gives us confidence. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.